Welcome back to the Pancake on a Steak podcast. This is part two for those people who are living in China, getting ready to leave China, taking a new contract in China, or working in a country with similar policies. Part two is called Moving Your Money. And I used to be over by the window and I could see the squirrels and they were married. Point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. As everyone is aware, the situation in many Chinese cities isn't great. I have been regularly talking to uh, my friends who are there. It's very hard to know what's going on by reading the news. However, I think if we follow some general best practices for money management, these situations, although they are incredibly stressful, can be mitigated. And uh, if you do decide to leave, you won't be leaving a lot of assets. Some of you are going to have a very difficult time listening to this. Whenever you have a conversation with people about A, how they manage their technology in their school, or B, how they manage their money, everyone gets really defensive. I'm sure you're not familiar with the first one. I am. I don't really understand it, but I'm a person who, for some reason, is open to constant evaluation and self-reflection. I don't know why. It just doesn't really bother me. And I make a lot of adjustments on a regular basement, <laughs> not basement, basis. I iterate through processes. When I was in China, and I lived there for four years, I iterated through banking and my goal was really simple, to legally move my money every month, all of my money, except for what I needed to live on in China. I did not save money in China. I did not invest money in China. All of my money went to targeted accounts outside of the country. All of it was legal and all of it was accounted for on both ends because I'm an American, so I kept all of my records uh that were given to me in China, translated those over into spreadsheets, and maintained scanned versions of all my documents. And regularly and annually, I requested letters from my human resources department to verify things like my total income, taxes I'm paying, all of that. So in case I ever needed to show anything outside of China, I would have um, more documents than the traditional documents you get from Chinese banks and your maybe HR department. All schools in China are not the same in the way they do their uh, payments, and I'm not going to get into evaluating that. What we're going to talk about is what happens when money hits your account in China and what you should be doing. If you are currently in a lockdown situation, and I just had this conversation with a friend two weeks ago, try to obviously stay calm, stay in a positive mindset. And use this time to get your paperwork organized. And I'm going to cover the paperwork in just a minute. Don't panic and just run to the bank when you have a window to go. This is a good time to be organized, to focus, to get everything ready. And if you're planning on leaving, you're going to have to follow a few steps. You may have to go to the bank more than once if you're someone who has not really been transferring your money out. I have some friends who are in very bad situations. They were traveling and locked out and cannot get back into China. Their schools canceled their contracts. They technically don't have a visa now. They have a lot of money sitting in banks in China. Their only option is to slowly try to pull it out with uh, their ATM card. 
This is not a good strategy. It is very volatile. There are a million things that can go wrong with this uh, process of slowly taking money out with your ATM card. So I'm not going to recommend that as a strategy. I'm also not going to recommend anyone going and doing shady cash exchange deals where you pay some guy on the street a fee and then uh, they take your money and then give you whatever your home currency is. There's a limit to how much money you can legally fly with. And some countries, that limit when you're leaving could be $10,000. And then the country you're going to, the limit can be less than the 10000 Also, um, I have uh, read some internet blogs where people attempted to exchange their money in China to like silver and gold coins and move those out of the country. That's also very, very difficult. And again, you're moving precious metals. You're, you're going to get charged with some kind of like um, tax or fee on one end or the other. It's going to happen. So just try to play it straight and work with the banking system as annoying as it is. We're going to talk about this from uh, the standpoint of everything is fine and this is what you should be doing normally. I know everything is probably not fine, but you want to use these same steps in the windows of time you're given. And you want to do it calmly. And I was speaking, when I was speaking to my friend a couple weeks ago, he was, he was freaking out a little bit. And I'm like, listen, the most important thing when you go into the bank or China Postal Savings, wherever you're going to do your transfer, and it doesn't matter if, it, if the bank has a foreign name like Chase, Chase or HSBC, that doesn't matter. The employees um, are probably going to be Chinese local staff. The most important thing is that you look calm, that you stay calm, that you don't yell, you don't over-question, you look concerned when you need to be concerned, you breathe, and you smile. If you're an employee at a Chinese bank, there is a lot of pressure on you when you are doing currency exchange for foreigners, and everything is scrutinized. There's a lot of stress. And there's not many of the tellers who will work with foreigners. It's a, usually a smaller number in, in most banks. There are some banks where that's not the case because of their location. But generally, you're going to draw one or two people and they're going to try to work through the process with you. You need to work with them. They're not your enemy. And the more stress you give them, the more stress you're going to get back. I'm a huge proponent of money being moved monthly. I do not think you should keep any excessive amounts of money in a foreign country unless you have some type of long-term plan to live there after you retire or you have some type of special investment uh, opportunity, which I've never had um, there. Uh, most people need to put their money in their country of residence. Uh, that's generally what I've found. And if that's the case for you, if you're paying uh, into some kind of investment account or savings account or, or what, whatever outside of your expat location, you should not keep excessive amounts of money there. All right. So I'm just throwing that out. If you haven't been doing that, just really consider doing it. Also, using systems like Western Union, quick money transfer, that's costing you a lot in fees and it's limited. Like you can't move usually an entire salary. It's not a good strategy for anything other than emergencies. 
So when I was in China, I did all of my major transfers with Bank of China and I had a Bank of China account, but I only kept 100 RMB in that account. My main account was with another bank. My salary went into another local bank. And so I moved my money once a month from the local bank that my my work preferred to use to Bank of China. And um, I literally would go in, take the cash, put it in the Bank of China ATM, deposit it, and then walk out of the ATM and go transfer it. And I had this process down and I was able to do it within 20 to 30 minutes every single time once I had the process down. The first time I did it, I was in the bank for like two hours. I feel your pain. So let me go through what you're going to need. When you are going to the bank, you need uh, your current passport and any passport that you have used in China, even if it's expired. So let's say you landed in China and you got your first visa and a passport and then you renewed and got a new passport. Take both passports. It's really important not to leave one. You need a, a copy of every work contract that you have ever had with your job. If you haven't been transferring money and you've jumped jobs, so what job A paid you for like two years and you didn't transfer that, and uh, now you're at job B, take both contracts. Keep, keep everything separate because it's going to be a little confusing for them. For every job that you've had, you need a folder with all of your salary and tax slips organized from the most recent to the oldest. Make sure they're stamped with the official school seal. They, they should be. So if you worked at more than one job, you need two folders. Do not mix your tax slips. And make sure they, again, are organized from the most recent to the oldest. It's very important that you have these chronological. If you're missing one, there will be a whole Q&A session about Where's this tax slip? The goal is to make their job really easy. What they're trying to do is add up all the tax slips that you have so that you have enough tax slips to transfer the money you want to transfer. That's really all they're trying to do. They're just trying to make sure that you've got a balance and that you have enough tax slips to verify the cash. And they prefer to work from the newest to the oldest. And they will use old ones, but they prefer that. And again, it's very calming when you get an organized folder. They take a deep breath. They can read it. They don't have to hunt and look for things. In addition, every year, you should have a letter from your school stating your total salary and have your school sign and stamp that. Ask HR to do it every year. It's not a big deal. They write it in English and they write it in Chinese. This should just be on hand in case there is some question about your contract or whatever. And, and I've used this letter before when there was a discrepancy on a tax slip, a discrepancy that I did not create. I showed them the letter. They're like, okay, we see your total salary. We're going to divide that by 12. We got it. After you use tax slips and do a transfer, you get receipts. You need another folder for every job that you've worked at that holds these receipts. And the, the receipts will also have copies of the transfer forms. Now, if you're doing online transfers, which some people can do, that's great. And, uh, you, you know, obviously keep doing online transfers if it's working. But after each online transfer, 
you should create a PDF of the receipts and print them off and keep them in a folder. Because if you run into a situation where there are limited services being offered and the only way you could transfer money is in person, you're going to need proof of transaction. And if you think they're going to look up your transactions uh, from your online payments, you've got another thing coming to you. That's not going to happen. So you still need to verify that you have transferred money. And when you print off these records, it has information like the bank that you use, the bank account, routing number, whatever. This again reinforces to the person that this has worked before and this is going to work now that you in fact know all of your information. I know it sounds crazy, but it's important. Your goal is to streamline this and keep the stress low for both parties. You need to print a copy of your banking details for the transfer. I would print two copies because if you have to go in person and there's a little window and you slide one copy under for them to look at, you should have a copy yourself especially if you're dealing with COVID and there's some restrictions on touching things, have two copies. This would be all the information from your bank, bank name, address, phone number, uh, routing number, SWIFT code. There's different, some countries use the IBAN number. Just get all the numbers and label them. So the codes uh, like SWIFT and IBAN, the, the actual letters for SWIFT and the actual letters for IBAN, those are universal. They don't have to translate that. If they see I-B-A-N colon in a number, they know what the I-B-A-N is. I preferred using Bank of China, whatever bank you want to use, go in if you can. So if you've never done a transfer the first time specifically, or if you want to try a different bank, go in on a day you're not doing a transfer and get the transfer forms, get the blank ones, take them with you, review them, make a copy and practice filling them out so that you have a sample. You can then also uh, work with a Chinese friend to make sure you understand everything that needs to go in. If you're skilled at doing transfers, if you've done a few, you don't need to do this. But I've met people who have lived in China for five or six years and they'd never really done a transfer. You don't want to have the additional personal stress of not understanding the form. And if you understand the form, you're going to lower the stress in the transaction. And that remember, that's a, that's a big part of the goal. Even if it fails, and it could for so many reasons, you want to be the friendly person who is organized and um, who is trying to help the teller make your transaction. You don't want to be the angry person screaming at the teller and telling them that they're stupid. You don't want to be the angry person who doesn't know the proper abbreviation for their currency and is screaming at the teller that they should know it. You don't want to be that person. That That's not going to get you anywhere in a stressful situation where I'm assuming some of these services are really optional and the bank teller can just say, you know what, we're only open for a few hours today, so I'm not I'm not dealing with this. As I said before, normally you need an account at the bank you're going to transfer at. So any other supporting information you have, obviously your ATM card or anything else you have that shows you're a bank customer, they usually get a bank book. You would take all that with you. That That's just something that most people take for granted that everyone knows. 
you do want to take your bank book and you do want to take your card. Usually you have two bank books, one for local and one for foreign currency. Because what happens is the money goes in in Chinese renminbi and then it's converted to the foreign currency. So you actually have two accounts at most of these banks, even if you're not aware of that. Choosing a bank branch, um, this can be hit or miss. Here's my advice. Find a major bank. Bank of China is a good one. I think the other one is ICBC. There's like different ones. Find a major bank where there are a lot of expats when there's no lockdown. So either close to a place that employs a lot of foreigners in an area where a lot of foreigners uh, would go to do business, not tourists, but who would go to, like if you know a lot of business professionals go to a certain area of the city for lunch or whatever, um, those areas normally will have banks that have staff that speak English or other languages. Let's talk about alternatives to normal banks. In major Chinese cities, now I don't know about smaller ones, but in major Chinese cities, there are China Postal Savings outlets. Now there are different kinds. Um, what you're looking for are China Postal Savings or CPS that offer currency transfer where you can walk in you know, and transfer US dollars to renminbi. They normally have a transfer service that lets you send money out of the country. They're a little less formal than most banks. They're a little faster. Their fees can be um, the same or lower. And some of them let you join a little membership club to, to save a little bit money on fees if you want to do that. But they're normally, these are normally located around high-end retail. So if you know of a street that has some high-end retail shops and there's a China Postal Savings there and you see the little currency thing in the window where they let you exchange money, it's worth going in and seeing if it's possible to transfer money. Why am I recommending an alternative to the bank? If you need to send a very large sum of money in a very short period of time, you're going to hit a wall. Now, I have seen this played out two ways. I have seen people literally send 200,000 US dollars in a single day out of China to a US bank account. The bank, this particular bank, was fairly small, out kind of in the suburbs. They didn't care. They just processed it. What didn't they care about? That there is a rule on how much money you can transfer in a given amount of time. Now, some people will argue that as long as you have $200,000 worth of tax receipts, you can send that much money. Other people will say um, you can send that much money, but not in one transfer. I firmly believe that whatever the rule is, it is the bank that's deciding whether or not to follow the rule and how, and if they're going to follow it, how they're going to follow it. I've seen a Bank of China situation where I was in the bank and a person was trying to do a massive transfer and they told them that they were over their limit for the year. And obviously this person freaked out. They're like, what? well, I need to send this money. You know, I need to get this money out of here. So this is, this is my recommendation. If you're going to send more than $20,000 in a 24 hour period, then you need a multiple bank strategy. In that case, what you would do is very simple. You're just going to go to two banks at least, or a bank and a China postal savings. If you've sorted that out, 
which is what I used to do if I thought I was going to be over my limit. I would go to the bank and do my transfer on a Friday. And on a Saturday, I would go to the China Postal Savings and send the rest of the money. You can research these limits. They're, they're, they're always kind of being updated. Um, but if you have more than, I would say, $50,000 to send in a three or four month period, you're probably going to run into a problem if the country is in any way slowing down currency being moved in and out. It's not going to hurt you if you try and fail. I don't think any phone calls are going to be made. They're just going to say, I'm sorry, this is as much as you can send. So again, you don't want to be stressed out, but having that in your mind and knowing it could be a problem and also having a backup plan is going to make you feel a lot better. I want to talk about two more things. First, non-Chinese bank brands like Citibank or HSBC or Chase and um, cash at the airport. Cash at the airport is kind of just a funny story to close with, but it, it can help you if you've if you're down to that last little bit and you need to you need to convert. You're gonna be able to have more flexibility at some of these foreign brand banks. There are still limitations, but they have different types of accounts, and you can get like elevated membership basically. So you can pay a premium and have more access to your money. That's what we're talking about. HSBC, for example, has a premier account. It's pretty expensive to open. If you have a massive amount of money in China, so let's just say more than $100,000 in cash, you should at least look into opening some kind of an account with like HSBC, Chase, or Citi and see what they have. So they're going to have this massive minimum deposit requirement. But if you meet that, you're going to have more access to their services outside of the country. So what you're trying to do is put your money in a safer bank that that will allow you to fully access your money and withdraw it and even close your account if you're in another country. I'm not recommending that you somehow pool a bunch of money together to open a special account. But if you have been sitting on money in China for, I don't know, five or ten years, then look at what the foreign uh, bank brands are offering. They're not 100% outside of regulation. That's not what I'm suggesting. But they do have other options for you. And it might be better to, again, in this kind of situation, to pay a little bit more money for a month or two to ensure that the bulk of your assets can be safely moved out of the country if you need to move them. Or maybe you're going to leave in a year or two and you want to ensure that you don't have to worry about your money, go ahead and hedge against the problem and give yourself some flexibility with your money. You worked hard for your money. You need to protect it, and you need to move it so that it's as safe as possible. Anyone who's gone to the airport to exchange money has likely ran into somebody looking at their passport and saying, oh, you've already exchanged this much money you can't exchange anymore. And it can be frustrating because... You may need, for whatever reason, um, like $3,000 in cash for what you're doing at your next stop, and you can only exchange $2,000. So I came up with a plan, and I used it multiple times in the airport. Um, first, identify all the money exchange counters. That's important. 
there is usually one before you go in, uh, before you check in, there's usually one or two inside the terminal. What you're gonna do is really simple. If you have, let's say, a three hour wait between check-in and your flight, then every 45 minutes, you're just going to uh, go to a different counter. And this has always worked for me. I don't know, I don't know how the system works in terms of them knowing or tracking, but I've never had a problem. So I would first hit the counter on the outside. And then I would go to one exchange counter and I would just put money down in my passport and not say anything. Now they check your passport and then they don't ask you any questions and they're either going to say yes or no. If they say yes, great, you get money. And then I would wait another 45 minutes to an hour and go to the other counter. And by doing that, I was able to exchange the maximum three times. I learned this from a Canadian in the Shanghai airport who watched me try to exchange money and I was denied. And he said, just sit here and wait for 45 minutes and then go back and it will work. He's like, I've been traveling through Shanghai for years and I always do this. So I listened to him. I went back and it worked. I don't know why it works. I don't know how it works. I didn't lie to anyone. I didn't say I'd already taken money out. I Nothing. I just gave him my passport and the money. So take that for what it's worth. If someone asks you, hey, did you just exchange money? Say yes. Don't lie to anyone. Don't sign any documents that have stated that you've already that you haven't when you have. Don't break any rules. But if you're leaving it up to the discretion of the clerk, then I think it's fair game. My final thought here is that if you can't leave in 48 hours and be financially okay because your money is stuck in another country, then that is a problem. You can sacrifice some some cash. You can leave a thousand, two thousand dollars, whatever. It's not going to hurt you long term. But if we're talking about months worth or years worth of your salary, you worked hard for it. Get your money out. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. 